From crypto winter to crypto geopolitics, from ChatGPT to AI avatars, from zero-proof identity to CBDCs and new forms of GovTech. Join inventors, artists, musicians, gamers, bankers, policymakers, and rebels for a discussion on how technology is reshaping our world. From our offices in Dubai, this is the UAE Tech Podcast. For me, the insight is obvious that we, as a species, Homo sapiens, we are just one species of humans. There has been about 30 species that are known in the fossil record. We happen to be the one that is active at present, but surely there will be others. And that is also the question what, to me, the concept of transhumanism is about. It is the insight that we are just one step in the ladder of evolution and human development. And once we realize that, the, our curiosity takes us to focus on what then is the next step. Hans goes by the nom de guerre Hans Sapiens, a reference, of course, to humankind, or perhaps the famous book by Yuval Noel Harari. The subject of our collective humanity has come into focus recently, as the capability of AI has filtered into the mainstream, the debate on our relationship to machines is no longer hypothetical. Hans is Chief Disruption Officer at Epicenter in Stockholm and co-founder at Disruptive Subdermals, a deep tech company specialised in implantable microelectronics. He advises on biohacking and human augmentation. In this episode, we discuss transhumanist beliefs, philosophy, recent geopolitics, and secular and religious conceptions of what makes a human being. Now, I personally distrust the transhumanists on issues such as physical human augmentation. I find the materialist and utilitarian definition of man as simply an evolved mammal to be an historical relic of post-war Europe. At the same time, what we can all agree on is that new debates are emerging and a new frontier of cooperation with machines is on the horizon. Today we're talking to Hannah Sapiens um, on transhumanism and human augmentation, but there is a hitch because his real name actually isn't. Hannes Sapiens. This is his nom de guerre, as he phrases it. So Hannes, it's great to have you on the podcast. Uh, I think this is the first episode where we've had someone with an alias, which is very cool. Could you please introduce yourself to our audience? Uh, perhaps tell us a little bit about why you got Sapiens as your uh, nom de guerre, and also what is transhumanism? Hi, John. Well, it's an absolute pleasure to be with you. And uh... Uh, I'm very happy to um, be a part of the community that uh, you guys are building. So it's entirely my pleasure and privilege. I am based in Sweden, but I have for many years traveled the world, uh, sharing insights, doing talks about human augmentation technologies. And what makes me excited uh, principally is finding new solutions and helping take other solutions to market that improve the human condition in very broad ways. 
but with a special focus on technologies that we have on or inside our bodies. And as for the name I use, <laughs> well, it's partly practical because my given family name of Sjöblad is uh, somewhat difficult to pronounce uh, in many countries around the world. But it's also a statement uh, that I am currently of the species Homo sapiens. But I think that may not always be the case. So my wish and vision is to one day be able to update the label that I've put on myself and make it something else. Because for me, the insight is obvious that we as a species Homo sapiens, we are just one species of humans. There has been about 30 species that are known in the fossil record. We happen to be the one that is active at present, but surely there will be others. And that is also the question what to me the concept of transhumanism is about. It is the insight that we are just one step in the ladder of evolution and human development. And once we realize that, the, our curiosity takes us to focus on what then is the next step? And for me, it's the merger of our, our bodies and our technology. Simple as that. But I know this is a lot to unpack. So let's well, take it step by step. So, yeah, we will take it step by step. And I think this is going to be an interesting conversation and an unusual one. Uh, but I think, you know, there are people in the tech community here are broadly aware of uh, transhumanism. I think that there's been a, a movement of transhumanism in and out of Dubai at certain levels for a while on the PA3 yeah. uh, always. So what you referred to, I guess, is known in transhumanist circles, I think I'm correct in saying, is the singularity. Is that correct? The point at which machine and mm. human uh, combine. Is this, is this an accurate uh, kind of yeah, the singularity is uh, is a term uh, coined by, um, well, I think popularized by Ray Kurzweil uh, in his mm. book, The Singularity is Near, which is now some 15 years old. And it's in his uh, meaning, the singularity is when artificial intelligence, which as we are, <laughs> can certainly observe, is becoming more capable and more intelligent at a much faster speed than biological intelligence. I mean, our own intelligence is, of course, slowly evolving, but we are certainly not seeing these marvelous advances that we see with artificial intelligence systems. So if we, if we sort of look at these trend lines, it is not impossible to imagine that the artificial intelligence trend line at some point will bypass the human intelligence in terms of capabilities. And that is the singularity, the technological singularity, if you wish, which is when we don't really know what's going to happen thereafter. So what happens when an artificial intel superintelligence starts to improve itself at, at warp speed? Uh, it's, it's very hard yeah, for us to tell. But speed. And I mean, that's thanks. Thanks for that clarification. And also what is new is that having this conversation two years ago i think the mainstream audience would have found a lot of it to be hypothetical and distant yeah. um, and i've had these conversations you know two years five years ago 
And of course, now people are waking up to the ability of really quite rudimentary AI on the mass, and they're seeing where this is going. Do you think there's been a surge of interest or a kind of much more wide debate around some of these ideas? Absolutely. And I think that's for really for the benefit of, of humankind, because yes, technologists and researchers, uh, we who have been, you know, watching closely, we've seen trend of how quickly these artificial intelligence systems can improve themselves already for many years. And but yes, with the emergence of these consumer grade chatbots like, like ChatGPT, the conversation really broke out into the mainstream. And now you can pick up the conversation that, oh no, is the AI is going to take over X, Y, or Z has really hit a lot of people. And uh, I think that is great because we need our politicians, we need our decision makers to be aware that this is really happening. And I personally am not worried that machines will take over and exterminate us. I am super enthusiastic about the opportunities provided by more artificial intelligence, because I think it's not us against them. I truly think that it is us together with them that we will apply artificial intelligence to ourselves for greater intelligence capabilities, achievement, health. And we're really entering like a golden era in, in terms of our civilization. So uh, I, I'm personally very, very positive about this development. Right. There's a lot there. Um, really fascinating discussion. So I want to unpick two things. The first is I think augmentation is an important word based on what you've just said. This idea of using machines to augment what we're already doing. The idea that this isn't, you know, the Terminator. It's not necessarily yeah. a zero-sum game. Okay. There are uh, mm -hmm. lots of uh, in human endeavors that can be augmented and helped um, by AI and robotics and all sorts of other things. I think that's a one discussion you know, we should have next. And then, of course, after that, we, we should have a discussion about the next step, which is, I think, the, the point where transhumanists often lose people, which is about biological uh, insertion of devices. So physical yeah. uh, human augmentation, where it's not yeah. it's not exterior, it's 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 kind of internal and, and inbuilt. So can we kind of, for the purposes of our audience, and I, I think some of them will be aware of this stuff, others won't, can we talk a bit about what you're up to now well, mm. that division between, you know, kind of light augmentation and, you know, biological augmentation. But but can, can you give us a short kind of discussion on what you're up to in that space? Because I know you're doing a lot. You've got your hands in several pies. Um, and just a little bit of background on your work in, in Stockholm and Sweden at the moment. Absolutely. So, um, well, for for the last decade, uh, I have been working as a tech entrepreneur. I have founded a number of different companies within different fields, some of which are still very active. Um, this includes companies working with chip implants uh, for various applications, specifically health, but also a couple of companies working with generative AI solutions and this is the reason I'll also be uh, meeting and coming to Dubai in October. 
but also with different wearable systems uh, of smart technology that is worn outside uh, of the skin, so to say. And uh, I've also been very active in the biohacking movement, which is a fantastic subculture where people explore technology in ways to change and improve health, human bodies, uh, and biological systems even more broadly, such as modifying, genetically modifying bacteria and uh, in plants and, and other biosystems. And biohacking, it's, it's not a science, but it's science very practically applied. So here's a, here's a new technology. What if we do something else with it, which is, what, which is not what it was designed to do? The classic example would be um, chip implants designed for cats and dogs, tiny uh, rice grain sized glass capsules that we use to identify our pets and livestock. Now, some 10 years ago, an increasing number of people realized that, you know, these harmless smart technology, you can also stick it under the skin of your own hand and use it to open doors or make rudimentary payment systems. So that's something I'm very enthusiastic about. And it's a lot of fun. And there's a lot of people out there who are developing these solutions. Thanks. And again, so many tangents we can go in. I guess I'd approach that in two ways. One, how do you feel ethically and philosophically talking about biohacking in the light of kind of the, the, the COVID-19 epidemic mm -hmm. and some of the sensitivities around people, you know, the, the controversy over RMNA, which a lot of people say is a great technology, perhaps mm -hmm. has been given a bad reputation after what happened and, and some of what was going on around the debate over, you know, messing with the human condition. I think that's, that's kind of <clears throat> point one. And then mm -hmm. point two, I would, I would point out that wouldn't you also argue that in a lot of ways we're already augmenting some of these things. We're wearing Apple Watches. We're tracking yeah. our health. We're wearing earbuds yeah. in our ears. So how do we break these two different kind of macro trends and, and, and make sense? So <clears throat> it's, it's fascinating, John, because the, both the complexity and the broadness of the multiple questions you pose, <laughs> you force me to give uh, mm. exhaustive and and you know somewhat um, you, seem to be up, you seem to be up for it you seem to have some, <laughs> some pretty deep background here so it, i don't normally do this two but, to tango. Okay, yes exactly <laughs> uh, so okay I'll, but i'll start with your second question which is yeah of course we have been applying technology to ourselves already since you know early human history look at wearing the purse of animals that we that we catch and kill right so invention of clothes invention of fire the wheel i mean the whole game of civilization haha <laughs> so the uh, applying technology is what makes us human essentially because yes we can in nature we can observe animals use tools so a monkey can take a stick to poke something out of a hole a bird can you know, use something to, to, to get a piece of food that they couldn't reach. But animals, they don't improve the tools. They use something, they throw it away. Whereas we humans, we find mm -hmm. a good stick, 
We mm. keep it, we polish it, we improve it, we extend it, we put a stone on the end, and ding, ding, mm. dong, uh, suddenly we have a, something that we reuse, that we improve. And that is the, the principal signification of what makes us human. It's because we apply technology. Biologically, we are just another animal, right? Which our DNA is very similar to our, our close, uh, you know, close cousins, primates. But applying technology to ourselves, like wearing clothes, eyeglasses, and nowadays, for example, pacemakers, um, hearing aids, um, artificial um, limbs uh, for people who have lost an arm or a leg, etc. It's, it's, for me, it's very natural. I love, I like to use the word natural as for, for, because it's human nature. So if you then just take the mental step of saying, okay, let me use technology not to replace a function that was lost, such as a leg or the sense of hearing, but instead applying technology to ourselves to improve something which was not there before, that for me is, is just a natural, gradual uh, sequence of events. So specifically, again, the case of chip implants that I have been working on for many years. Uh, in my previous business, uh, we developed a chip implant that we put under the skin that had sensors that could measure, for example, your body temperature. And the purpose of this being that we are born with a bunch organs we have kidneys and liver and lungs etc that all do great functions but there is no organ in the body that can convey a digital update to an external system so my idea is to to give that organ to humankind so small digital sensor organ that is cheap easy to use completely harmless and allows you to convey a stream of digital information to whatever external health monitor system you want so this is happening. We see it happening in so many different fields of research and medicine already. So this is another dimension that makes me very positive about uh, the, the outlook of our health going forward, which brings me into the first question you posed, which is the COVID pandemic and how that affected, for example, people's perception on technology. Well, let, let me briefly give you my take on what the COVID pandemic ultimately was. To me, uh, it's, you know, the war between <laughs> humans and microbes or viruses has been going on for all of eternity. Sometimes they get the upper hand, sometimes we have the upper hand. This, for me, was the first battle in the last war between humans and viruses, and we won. So the Spanish flu 100 years ago killed more than 50 million people. If you look yeah. at the yeah. United Nations statistics, how many people died directly from COVID? It's about 5 million. Of course, you know, there are likely a lot of cases that may not have been documented, but it's still an order of magnitude less. There were more than 13 billion doses of vaccine distributed, which saved countless lives. We expect that about a billion people were actually infected by the virus. And the most fascinating part for me was that, and this is again, biohacking demo uh, beautifully, is that 
when we discovered, as soon as the virus was discovered, the researchers made a uh, digital analysis, sequenced the genome of the virus, and the digital version of the virus was sent around the globe much faster than the, um, uh, the actual virus spread. So researchers in Europe and US had access to a digital version of the virus long before the first person with the virus actually in their body entered the shores of the United States. And that for me proves that technology is faster than biology. And it shows that we now have such marvelous tools that we have never been better equipped to deal with the pandemic ever in human history than we are now. We won this one, we're gonna win the next one as well. Yeah, and I think a lot of people would have sympathy with what you just said. And again, you, you mentioned medical devices, the ability to make um, you know a veteran who's returned from the war, allow them to walk, uh, to mm. replace a core limb, to one day possibly help the blind to see or to read. Mm. These are things that, as you said, are comparable to the miracles of old. And it's very difficult mm. for any human to, to turn around and say, we don't want that. And I think, you know, that's a, mm. that's a core point. We have to allow these things. We have to allow that innovation. And I think also, to be fair, a lot of people could be broadly sympathetic to, to your points on uh, removing the politics and on what, you know, researchers mm. and tried to do during COVID-19 and the speed of dissemination. Completely agree with you. Um, these are obviously really weighty discussions and they're fascinating. And, and you, you know, you talked about civilization. And mm. I, I think, you know, uh, the UA Tech podcast is a little bit different to a lot of podcasts because we've often spoke with individuals such as yourself in different mm. industries that are really talking about behind it all. What does the future mm. of civilization look like? What are we building? How are our mm. new financial systems or our new digital systems going to forge new government entities or new systems? And when you're talking, you know, about some of this, there are also other sample data or the case studies that we mm. need to look at. So, for example, let's say, you know, my background is also as a historian, and we're looking mm. how different civilizations of the past use technology to co-opt, control, and also enslave, mm. Uh, mm. you know, proportions of humankind. Now, I think mm. there's this sense that technologies are often utopian, you know, and, and often rightly so, look at what technologies achieve. But there is also that idea that, you know, there's also a dystopian conversation. It's, it seems it's always black or white. So there's this idea that if you look at digital technologies today, of which I'm a vast, a massive proponent, but even I would argue that digital technologies have also been co-opted at times for a securitization and a surveillance yeah. agenda, right? So I think anyone can also say, while the transhumanists might have some interesting ideas, there's also another side of this where are we putting the very question of the human condition in the hands of entities or powerful bodies that might necessarily have our best interests at heart, but have control, co-option, uh, you know, at the same, uh, just as previous civilizations have had. And, and that, that could be um, something that, that you guys may be a little bit blind to in the rush mm -hmm. towards this mm -hmm. singularity. Uh, do, you think that, do you think that that is a fair observation or criticism, or do you think that it's something that is stressed too much to kind of discredit you guys? Well, uh, first of all, I don't claim to represent the movement of transhumanism in any 
general sense. Oh, so, <laughs> yeah. No, okay, but I, I have my my personal take. I have, you know, we have our perspective on this. For me, transhumanism is basically the insight that the human species will not look this way forever. Something else will appear, and the question is what. And that is what I love to explore in both idea and practice. But you know, I fundamentally agree to everything you say here because of course technology has marvelous complications risks downsides this is not something that we in the techno community ignore uh, i think take for example a prominent transhumanist like nick bostrom who has spent the last mm. seven eight years of his life talking about ai risk going from being very optimistic into critical to the phenomena he observes. Mm. And he's written these books about superintelligence, warning us about what a superintelligent AI may, might do to, to humankind. So I would say that the criticism and the, you know, the uh, scrutiny of how technology is applied is very much active also in the transhumanist domain and in the this tech development uh, ecosystem in, in which I operate. So it's, it, you need to be very naive to not see that Facebook can both be a great tool for connecting people, but also a very destructive tool to incite riots or revolutions or, you know, affect democratic processes, etc. So principally, John, as, as you very well know, technology in itself is neutral, right? So I have a hammer, I can yeah. build a house or I can hit you on the head, but it comes down to the agent wielding the technology. So it, it always comes back to human morals. Um, and once we start build much more powerful technologies, and after all, the atomic bomb has been around for some time and the great new movie about Oppenheimer, I think we'll Going also... Going to it tonight. Yeah, looking forward oh, to that. Congrats. Yep, yep. I've listened to a couple of podcasts about uh, Oppenheimer over the last few me, days. Me too, me too. Fascinating. Fascinating yeah. character. Yeah. Yeah. Great, great case But that's study for another... Time. Yeah, yeah, just yeah. for another time. Yeah. So we, you know, we're already wielding incredibly powerful technologies. And for me, the concern is that we may not have the morals and ethics to responsibly manage these technologies uh, already. And then we can debate the solution. What is the solution? Should we outlaw um, AI? Should we only allow, you know, give licenses to a few companies in the world? Okay, only yeah. you, 10 companies can develop the systems of artificial mm -hmm. intelligence so that, and we will have government bureaucrats will sit in your offices and watch that you don't do anything too weird I with mean, it yeah i'm a massive fan of bostrom i loved his work on are we mm. living you know in, in simulated reality mm. but wasn't hit one of his mm -hmm. more recent solutions which he mm. received a significant amount of pushback for essentially mm. kind of what you alluded to that you know mm. this needs to be uber regulated and we need to put this power in the hands of very few mm. trusted and in inverted commas government agencies mm. to protect us from it you see what i mean yeah. Yeah, mm -hmm. which was which caused a bit of a furor. It's not unreasonable. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It is well. It's not unreasonable if if you trust the system. Um. <laughs> yeah, <and> do we? <laughs> mm -hmm. 
but yeah, it, it, these are these are profound questions, um, and I, I think you know I do like that. That I wonder what it was like living at that time when the bomb had been invented. It doesn't. I know Wired recently did a piece about AGI. So where where do you take what What is your take on on AGI? Um, mm. I, I've seen two arguments. I've seen the first is that you know we should not live in fear. We should allow these technologies to um, scale and to grow. Obviously, we should be careful. And then the second is that they should be regulated. But I've also had mm -hmm. some kind of murmurs that the people pushing for regulation are also the people that kind of want to be in a small subset of companies and interests that have control over it. Yeah. Um, so so what? It's a, it's a delicate one. And, you know, mm -hmm. particularly what we're talking today, it seems to have pretty, pretty massive repercussions. Where do you stand mm -hmm. on all this? Where do you draw the line? Well, I, I'd like to take the big perspective again, thinking that um, what, you know, more intelligence in the world is not a bad thing. Be it human on artifi or artificial intelligence, we need more of it. The real problem is not the, that we have too much intelligence. The problem is we have too much stupidity, <laughs> to, to put it simple. So principally i welcome smarter decision making systems that help us improve uh, the societies we live in and the human condition in general in terms of health education and of course also in ethics so mm -hmm. we also Absolutely. know that we humans we are fallible right we have we have simple instincts we are territorial, we are tribal, we are xenophobic, we are, you know, we, we are resource hoarders. We, we have all these traits that have served us well throughout our evolutionary history. If you didn't have a, you know, a full uh, food storage before winter came, you, you weren't sure if your children were going to survive the winter, at least here in the north. <laughs> so um, all these things, right, that have served us well historically may now you know be destructive because we suddenly have people who accumulate so much more resources than they will ever need or we have the short-termism that or we have capitalism that is predatory because we need to get that bonus for the next quarter right we need to push up the share price and therefore we we take all these short-term things that damage the planet or or people long term and for me, the key is how do we improve human ethics? Because if if we can if we can be better decision makers, then we can potentially also responsibly manage these super powerful technologies like nuclear weapons and perhaps uh, artificial superintelligences. Uh, but I'm not saying it's easy. I don't know the way there, but I think this is the conversations that we must have. That the key is is to to understand the long term consequence. The key is to build institutions and processes that allow us to manage these powerful technologies. Because ultimately, artificial intelligence will bring so fantastic benefits to us in terms of health and education, human lifespans, curing cancer, curing aging. Uh, so it would be a great loss if we stopped that development. 
there's also a cost in lives and suffering of slowing down AI uh, development in my view. Yeah, and that's one that's difficult to calculate um, mm. because it's an unknown, but it's it's probably not discussed mm. enough. So, Hannes, amazing discussion today. I before we mm. before we break up, I want to have a quick fire round with you because I think you know you clearly articulate, mm. clearly clearly understand this stuff, and you're also able to, to talk about things outside of technology. So, if you don't mind, I want to ask you some very difficult quick fire questions that we don't expect sure. you to have an answer with, but I think they also touch on some of the philosophies and points that, that we've had today. First quick fire question, is intelligence for human beings important? Who cares? Why is intelligence a necessary point of value for the, for the human species? Don't we have other things like human relationships or, or you know, love or friendship that are more important than intelligence? So one does not exclude the other. Uh, yeah. I think there is a relationship, a correlation between intelligence and, and the understanding of <clears throat> the feelings of others, of, of empathy, for example. I think intelligence is our ability to solve problems. We have great problems to solve. We have a planet that is, we are, you know, stressing. Uh, we have a humankind, which is also not in perfect shape. We need more intelligence to solve those problems. We need to use artificial intelligence, but we also need to augment the human intelligence that we are wasting today, that there are so many talented people that do not get, do not get access to school, that do not, are not provided with the right opportunities. So I think intelligence is a marvelous trait, and we need more of it, not less. Do you believe that if we cannot measure something, it doesn't necessarily exist? So, for example, do you believe human beings have a soul? Uh, no, I don't. I think we should avoid sort of religious terminology when we speak about the real world. So, um, yeah, I, I would avoid that term because it doesn't have any proper meaning fascinating me. so yeah, yeah that, we can use yeah. it as a literary feature but uh... of course absolutely fine i mean i think that that's a perfectly legit legitimate response but also kind of historically mm. interesting one uh, finally mm. we've had some people compare a agi an advanced agi uh, i think elon musk and others not just to a super intelligence but to a form of kind of digital god in fact i believe mm. there was hints that there was a conversation with one of the founders of, of Google uh, mm -hmm. at a private party in Silicon Valley where that, that was specifically or explicitly mm -hmm. discussed. Uh, so in a way, we are going back to very old ideas that aren't necessarily mm -hmm. scientific. Um, what do you think about this? There is this debate, there is this argument that, that transhumanism at time verges on some of the similarities to religion, for example, the singularity with the revelations mm. and that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. This idea of AGI yeah. as a god is, is immediately using a kind of linguistics and semantics that as you say, yeah. you know, how what do you feel about all this? Does it make you are you does it make you uncomfortable? Or do you see this as something that will necessarily happen? These kind of, you know, mystical uh kind of currents that seem to be merging with some of this tech conversation in ways that were quite strange a few years ago. Well, <clears throat> I don't think the singularity is determined in the sense that it's unavoidable. It's totally up to us and what we do. I uh, 
I, if you, <laughs> I can come to the point to use, you know, ironically, you can call the singularity is the rapture of the nerds. I mean, that's as far as I'll go in terms of <laughs> religious terminology. <laughs> so Interesting, but, but yeah. But just just to, just to to complete the the, uh, the thinking here is that I think yes, artificial intelligence. When if it becomes super intelligent, it will have some capabilities of sort of super powerful beings. We can easily imagine that. To use the term gods, mm, it's it's tricky. The the point I want to make is that I don't see artificial intelligence as freestanding from human intelligence. I think that's a that's a flaw in a, mm -hmm. in, a, in thinking because it will not be us against them. It will not be two separate things. We will merge with artificial intelligence system. So the term I like to use is not AI, but IA, which is intelligence augmentation. Just like with cars, we have made our legs so much stronger and faster. We can carry loads, we can transport ourselves so much faster. Exactly the same will be the case with artificial intelligence because we will integrate it with our own intelligence. We will be one and we will have much greater decision-making capabilities, information process capabilities, memorization capabilities, information access. When the whole world is a system of connected sensors, we can perceive everything that is happening in real time if we want to. And that for me still will be human in the core, but we will have these layers of systems that will help us make better decisions. Hopefully we can build some safety you know, measures into those systems that will allow us not to make stupid mistakes such as starting nuclear wars. Um, that for me is the future I see. It will be a, a humankind which is marvelously strengthened by artificial systems. And again, I think we're, we're heading into a, a golden era, the most uh, marvelous time of, of our species, of our civilization, uh, you know, that has, has ever happened. And I feel so happy and privileged to be alive right now uh, with what is going on. Anas, thank you so much for that. It was absolute tour de force, absolute pleasure hosting you today on the UA Tech podcast for one of the most compelling uh, conversations we've had on the future of technology in a very long time. My pleasure, John. Great to chat with you. Sponsor information. The UAE Tech Podcast is distributed by Albuaba Business free of charge. To sponsor a single episode or a series of themed episodes, please contact our editorial team or download a sponsorship press pack. Sponsors receive an article on Albuaba Business, syndication distribution on Albuaba Syndicate, email direct marketing across the region, and brand inclusion across all podcast marketing design, audio, and video formats. Albuaba is not a PR company, and we do retain editorial discretion and quality control as an independent publisher. Companies looking to support a dialogue on technological transformation in the UAE are encouraged to contact our team.